Welcome back to a brand new season of the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. Before we kick off season four of the show, I want to express my heartfelt gratitude to you, our dedicated listeners and fans of the podcast. I truly appreciate your enthusiasm and support over the past three years, and your messages and feedback continue to inspire us. As we embark on season four, Our goal is to bring you even more captivating stories, compelling conversations, and brilliant takeaways that will illuminate your practice like never before. And now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode. Change happens for two reasons. It's either inspiration or desperation. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. David Boshkin. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce to you an orthodontist whose innovative mindset was profoundly shaped by his environment. Dr. David Boshkin practices in Silicon Valley, California, and is perhaps best known as an early adopter and speaker for Invisalign by Align Technology. As you'll hear on today's episode, David's exposure to the disruptive mindset of Silicon Valley has fueled his journey as an innovator in orthodontics. David continues to push the boundaries of orthodontics forward by leveraging the digital workflow to not only scale his practice, but to reshape the patient experience. Well, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, Dave? (laughs) Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Uh, Doing well, actually. After a day and a half of speaking, this is uh, is kind of fun. Yeah. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? We're at the Orlando Invisalign Expo. Yeah. And uh, we just had some great uh, clinical and practice management uh, discussions and great group. And you just got off the stage. So, you know, your voice might be a little scratchy. I did just get off the stage, actually. But I have my cocktail. Yeah, well, it's not really a cocktail. Yeah, not really. Unfortunately, the bar doesn't open till five. So we were shut down and we had to go to the uh, hotel gift shop. <laughs> so why don't you tell everyone what we're drinking? Can you believe that? We actually looked around the hotel. We went to the gift shop and yeah. we are having uh, Mexico's finest um, <laughs> That's right. import, a Corona. Yeah, Corona Extra. extra. We, we need to get light. Yes. If we're getting the extra calories today. Cheers. Yeah, <laughs> cheers, Dave. <laughs> If you had a choice of uh, beverage, what would it be that we would have had on today's podcast? I think I've evolved over the years. I used to be a dirty martini. Uh, then I got into old fashions. Then I'm a tequila sipper, even on the rocks, just kind of sipping a good tequila. I was in Italy four years ago, actually 2019, and I really got excited about Italian wine. And oh, yeah. I, being so close to Napa, I used to love bold cabs. The problem is I wake up at two in the morning and (laughs) I get the sweats and and I don't know, this is old man stuff here, 
But I got to tell you, oh, like, I feel you. Italian wine, I feel like I can drink the bottle and I feel fine the next morning. And it's like the sulfites, right? Yeah. Just the, there aren't the sulfites. They, present don't, and, they don't put them in yeah. and much more organic. So I'll never turn down a Barolo. Uh, well, me neither, I think. <laughs> we could pretend we're having Barola right yes, now instead exactly. of Corona Extra. <laughs> I want to give a quick shout out to Roxanne Bruno, my Invisalign rep, who did a wonderful job with today's program. Uh, you and your director of operations slash TC extraordinaire, Nicole Pruitt, spoke. So got a lot of great pearls that we're going to talk about today. Excited and honored to have you on the show. I sort of think of you as, you know, an original innovator here, uh, one of the early adopters of Invisalign by Align Technology. You had heavy involvement, I think, with the product from the outset. So excited to hear those stories. We're going to learn about your digital transformation journey, which I guess started about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. You were seeing 100 patients a day and uh, things were getting a little crazy. So you had to think differently in a sense. And uh, lastly, we're going to wrap up learning about a venture capital fund for oral healthcare, mm-hmm. Revere Partners. Let's do it. We got a lot to talk about, yeah. huh? Well, let's <laughs> learn a little bit more about you. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Davis, uh, California, mm-hmm. and uh, grew up at kind of the foothills of Tahoe. And I actually raced for Squaw Valley for 10 years. Oh, is that right? So I would ski about 100 days a year. Um, and certainly as I got into deeper into high school on that, I was actually going even farther to far west and nationals. And, and while I don't think I could ever have been an Olympic skier, I certainly was sort of pursuing that route mm-hmm. until I realized that, well, there's probably not a real big financial future for me <laughs> in the ski world. And I actually had thought about like between college and dental school, maybe doing a gap year and going out to Colorado and being a ski instructor. And my parents were like, we're never going to see you again. And <laughs> there's no way you're going to go back to grad school. So, yeah. so spent a lot of time up in Tahoe skiing and I still, I have uh, four kids. I have a 19 year old, 18, 17 and 16 year old. And they're all started at age two and all expert skiers. And my wife's a pretty uh, good skier as well. So there's really nothing more fun than crisscrossing the hill with the six of us. Oh, so. super cool. So if we back up a little bit, like starting with, you know, skiing in high school, this was just like downhill or what were you, what type of skiing exactly? So I specialized in slalom and GS. Okay. Um, What's GS? And and so GS is Grand slalom. Is that what that is? It is is actually giant slalom. Oh, giant. And it means that the gates are slightly separated compared to slalom, which is quick gates. Okay. So that's a quick response and you have to have really fast reflexes. So I was pretty good at the slalom skiing, migrated really into GS later on, which is the gates are spread farther out. And then there's downhill. That's where we're going. Just like straight. 80 miles an hour, effectively. And did a bunch of downhill, didn't love it as much. But so we would have races every weekend. And then into my senior year, I think I probably skied more than I went to school. Uh, my senior year. (laughs) That's so funny. I cut class a lot to drive up to Tahoe. What, What did your parents do? My dad was a business school professor at Berkeley and also at uh, San Jose State. And then my mom was assistant superintendent of a school district in Sacramento. So both of my parents are educators. Yeah. So there was always this intent that I would go far when it comes to education. And they were very supportive of that. But your dad had a business background too, which I think- He did. He has a PhD and also an MBA. I think of you as an educator, right? Because you do speak and you've spoken for numerous years and you have such a entrepreneurial mindset, I feel. 
So, you know, maybe you got that a little bit from your parents. I think so. Definitely the educational part of things. I love teaching and I love engaging with people. And I do a lot of speaking almost for selfish reasons. I kind of feel like I'm actually getting more out of it than the people that are attending my courses. And I am able to kind of come back to my office and people have presented ideas and I'm like, hmm, let me go figure that out. And so I think it's just made me a better doctor over the years. I think that's awesome. You mentioned that you went to UC Berkeley, right? Mm -hmm. I believe you double majored there? Yeah, I was biochemistry and anthropology. Don't ask me why. I guess you didn't want to have fun, huh? I don't know. I think it's just like my (laughs) type A personality. And well, I played water polo for the first two years uh, at Cal. And then I was in a fraternity as well. So I was Uh super busy, but I don't know why. I think if I could go back, I I would have picked one major or the other uh, and probably had a little bit more free time. It's just that when I had two big majors like that, I didn't always have a lot of time. So, well, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think I was just surrounded by people that were like, what's your other major? I'm like, do we have to have two majors? No, but you're not really cool if you don't. And I don't know what it was. I just was like, okay, let me do double major. And did you do two majors because you wanted to get into dental school or you just were whatever? I wasn't even thinking about that. I I was doing all the life science classes and I was thinking my senior year, I actually was thinking about medical school. I was thinking about law school wasn't even thinking about dental school. It wasn't even on my radar. I was dating a girl at the time and her dad sent me an article about dentistry <laughs> and how you could own your own office. You're in the healthcare space, but you're not in like a hospital setting. Yeah. I had volunteered in a hospital setting during college in the ER and I could definitely see leaning into that. I mean, it's intoxicating and a rush, but it's also, you know, ER, and like sick people. And I just didn't really think that that was where I wanted to go. And I had a great pediatric dentist growing up. In fact, actually, I saw him until I was 20. Finally, he was like, Dave, you need to leave our office. (laughs) And I was like, but no, I I really like this office. And they had a great team, great culture. They had a train around the perimeter. They had an artful arcade. This is like, yeah, of course you didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. And finally, I was asked to leave. And and then my orthodontist, Dr. Andresen in Davis, he was fantastic and just a great team culture. And I think that was sort of, he would never have known this, but sort of my mentoring of like, oh, I should probably think about orthodontics. And yeah. so, you know, applied to dental school. And Well, you got into Penn. I got into Penn. Was and that like your first choice? That was my first choice. Yeah. yeah. And I uh, got into a few other schools, but it wasn't, I guess I had just thought about okay, where should I go? And when I had done the research, I realized that Penn was really one of the older schools, Mm -hmm. really had a strong footing in not only the clinical, but also the didactic aspect of things. But historically, I mean, Penn is kind of the origin of perio and Prost and orthodontics. And yeah, but I wasn't thinking about orthodontics until I got into dental school. I wasn't like Jonathan, you know, that went to the dual program, had already thought about every, his life ahead of him kind of thing. Very well planned, right? Yeah, I wasn't like yeah. that. And then I got into dental school and I was, I just kind of figured out what I liked and didn't like. I very quickly realized I didn't like endo. Well, yeah, me neither. And perio, I just didn't really get it as well. Mm-hmm. And there's this emphasis when you go to Penn, maybe it was because how expensive it was, but to go specialize. And I think the top two the specialty programs was either ortho or oral surgery. Yeah. And I think I just was caught on initially by orthodontics. Dr. Van Arsdale was, right. was the chairman at Penn and he was a great mentor. And then ultimately I got into his program. 
And so after you finished dental school, I think this is super cool and unique. You went abroad. Yeah, I spent right? some time in England at Guy's and St. Thomas Hospital, nationalized health system there. So uh-huh. you're able to kind of do everything. And so I pulled a lot of teeth because mm-hmm. the English really wanted their teeth pulled more, <laughs> more than to endo and restore right? and all that. And yeah, just yank it out. Yeah. And it's actually it was 19... Uh, 97, 98 period. Mm-hmm. And so it was when Princess Diana passed away. Oh, so oh I was there yeah. during that whole what was time that frame. Like? It was charged because I lived in Kensington area. So uh-huh. that whole sea of flowers around Kensington. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, I saw that all the time. I saw the casket go by. Uh, I was out in front of Westminster Abbey. Obviously, yeah. I couldn't get in. I would liken it, although I don't know, but I imagine kind of felt probably like my parents felt when JFK died or. Hmm. you know, other sort of big luminaries that are out there. Yeah. So even as an American, I mean, she was almost like the princess of the world, right? She really was actually. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think a lot of people realize that she was very likable. So Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of anger towards the royal, they call it the firm, Mm -hmm. because of just the lack of emotion and the lack of response that kind of came out of that. And finally, I think the queen kind of had to say something like whatever she ended up saying, but all that gets revisited in some of these like Netflix specials that you, you I know, know, right? That are out now. Yeah. Well, yeah. enough about the Royals. So yeah. you came back to the States. Uh, Went ba- to Penn. Back to Penn for ortho. Yeah. And that was a great experience. And Van Arsdale was really all about learning all aspects of orthodontics. And mm-hmm. so we had professors that came in and taught us nothing but beg. So mm-hmm. we had beg cases. So we were, you know, first, second, third order, Australian wire bends. Yeah. We had professors and patients that we treated with nothing more than tweed. Hmm. And then we even went out to Tucson to the tweed course. Yeah. And then we also had an affiliation with Speed Bracket. Mm-hmm. And the that speed, was out of Canada, right? And that was out of Canada. And so we actually went up to Canada. I think it was Hamilton, Canada that we went up to. And we visited, I can't remember his name, who created Speed, but we went to his office and mm-hmm. saw how it all worked. And and then we also were able to use Damon. And, oh, very cool. And that was when the size of the bracket was like the whole tooth. <laughs> and the doors were popping off like all the time. That was like first generation, First right? generation. Of Damon bracket. Yeah. So I was introduced to Damon fairly quickly, and which is why I sort of really, when I bought my first practice... I really leaned into Damon fairly quickly. So you graduated what year from your 2000. Program? 2000. Damon was just really taking off then in terms of popularity, right? It was, just starting, starting, it was to. starting to, yeah. The self-ligating wars hadn't really erupted at that point, but people were coming on, on the scene for something like that. And then I was trained with Invisalign in 99 as a resident. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved back to California, the first office that I purchased was from an orthodontist that had been trained for maybe three to four months before I did with Invisalign, had six, seven patients, and then I bought the practice. He goes and retires. I was left with those patients to finish up, and then I had started more of them. And then really within about three to four months, I got a call from the co-founders of Invisalign, Zia Kisting, Kelsey Wirth, who asked me to actually start training orthodontists on Invisalign. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. And I was literally considered one of the experts in the country on Invisalign. And I had all of maybe 25 cases. (laughs) And I don't know how many finishes I had at that point, maybe maybe five or six. Yeah. And those early lectures, some of them were remote. So what they would do is they would bring a television screen into like three different locations around the country 
hotels and we would broadcast it from San Jose. Oh, is that right? It wasn't even live. And then we got into more of the live lectures and all of that. If we just back up for a second. So you actually had exposure, though, to Invisalign in your residency program. We did. We actually were able to start one case each. Which is crazy for like late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember, you know, Brian Amy, he also, uh, I believe, was at the same certification course. So this was kind of a Temple Pen thing. Hmm. And I don't remember exactly, I think one of the first reps for Invisalign was in Philadelphia. So that's how somehow they were able to bring the residents in and then get trained oh, interesting. Okay. You know, for you know early on. Yeah. So you eventually, I believe, became part of their sort of like alpha group, almost like their insiders group, eventually became the clinical advisory board, I believe. Yeah. So it was the early clinical advisory board. These were sort of the early KOLs. This is before Align had faculty. Really. I mean, the faculty program began by Lou Schumann mm-hmm. uh, in 2001, but this almost preceded that slightly. This is all within months, but the Alpha Group met you know, once a year and it was a, a selection of doctors. Started off with 10 and ended up being, I think, at the end, maybe 50. And it was all about best practices and sharing. And then a line would come to us and say, here's what we're looking at. What do you think? And and then it kind of disbanded and kind of merged into the clinical advisory board and then ultimately the speakers bureau slash KOL group. Okay. Do they still have clinical advisory board or that sort of just... They do. I'm actually on the ITERO advisory board. There's also another clinical advisory board that exists and that's for all other products related to gotcha. Invisalign. So you set up shop, I believe, in uh, Los Altos in San Jose, right? So Los Altos is right next to Palo Alto, about 40 miles south of San Francisco. Los Altos is really the epicenter of Silicon Valley. So Mm. all the C-suite lives in Los Altos. It's all about startups in Los Altos. You can always get a feel for what a city is about by just going into a Starbucks and, Mm. and listening to what people are talking about. Yeah, that must be crazy. Well, if you go into Philly, you you know, you're going to a Starbucks, people are probably talking about the Eagles and football right. and all that. You go to Starbucks in downtown Los Altos and people are talking about Excel spreadsheets and P&Ls and venture funds and A-Round and, you know, startups. It's, yeah. it's really interesting to listen to some of the topics that are going on there. But yeah, so that practice I bought 12 years ago and then I bought a building about six years ago, moved into it. So I moved that location in Los Altos and then I've had my San Jose office since 2000. Do you think being in Silicon Valley sort of influenced you to maybe think ahead and become an innovator or were you always like that at Penn? I don't know that I was always like that at Penn. I think I always embraced technology, but I wouldn't always say I was an early adopter to like, I mean, now I just, if it's new, I want it. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of this, it's the environment that I'm in Mm -hmm. and that digital is expected in my area. So when, when these consumers come into my office, whether it's Los Altos or San Jose and most likely Los Altos, but it's when they come in, they're expecting this digital workflow. Hmm. And these are people that have embraced DoorDash, Instacart. Right. They get all their groceries delivered. Uh, they Uber, they don't take a yellow cab. These are people that have this full digital platform built out in their life to maximize their time. Mm -hmm. This is not boasting or anything, but I have six or seven billionaires that are in treatment or have been in treatment. Really nice individuals. Is that intimidating? Not anymore. Yeah. Because they're normal people, but they're very to the point. 
also they have this like Steve Jobs distortion reality thing <laughs> where when they say, well, how long? And I say, oh, you'll be about 12 months. Can we do it in six? <laughs> And no I, pressure, feel, right? I feel like there's like a negotiation, yeah, yeah. like I can only move teeth so fast. Yeah. They want to bend the will yeah. of everything in their life because here's the one thing is that I am surmising when you have that kind of wealth that all the other things that you and I might worry about in life, mm-hmm. they don't. There's only one thing that they worry about and that's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about they have a finite number of time to do what they want to do in life. Hmm. And orthodontics is just a one little check the box, but they want it in and out as fast as they can. And then all of the details are all done by their EAs, their executive assistants. Hmm. We interact a lot through their executive assistants. So, of course, we have to be at the top of our game. Right. They want to embrace remote monitoring. They don't want to switch out every seven days. They want to switch out every four days. <laughs> like they, There's just like this negotiation. And so they funny. don't want to come in every... We see our Invisalign patients every like 14 to 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's pretty far out. It I, is I would far think out. 12 weeks is probably normal. Oh, oh if, average, they, if they have right? 20 aligners, they'll be like, I'll see you when I'm on my 20th aligner. Like they, they just want to minimize all that. So yeah. I think to answer your question, I think there's an expectation of maybe where I live and work that the digital workflow is a rule yeah. and not an exception. So you kind of have to lean into that. No, I find it super interesting that sort of in that milieu of Silicon Valley, just how that pushed you in that direction. Yeah. When we come back in just a moment, how Dave faced burnout seeing 100 patients per day how he transformed his practice by leveraging a digital workflow. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from KLO and Stride. What if you came in Monday morning, looked at the schedule, and every appointment was as simple as an aligner visit? It could be. Stride Custom Braces by Kale Owen help you leverage your investment in digital workflow to grow your practice and find more hours in your day. How about 35% fewer visits? Stride gives precise control in all three orders using a kit of 27 patented brackets with advanced AI software and true straight wire mechanics. Available in metal, clear, and now self-ligating. To request a demo, go to klowenortho.com and receive a free case when mentioning this podcast. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. David Boschkin. You know, another thing you mentioned in your talk today, which I found super interesting, is that seven, eight years ago, you were seeing 100 patients a day, sort of doing a mix, maybe like 40% Invisalign, and then the rest probably like traditional braces. And, you know, you were sort of maybe facing a little bit of frustration and burnout, right? Just from seeing that many patients and banging your head up against the wall. I know, for sure. You know, I think change happens for two reasons. It's either inspiration or desperation. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit of inspiration, but I think it was a lot of desperation. And like you were saying, we were seeing 100 patients a day. And I know all these years that I've been lecturing and being out there, I know when I'll ask people to raise their hand, how many people see 100 patients a day? And there's like this badge of honor. Oh, I see 120 a day. 
And I actually used to think that that was a sign of success in a practice until I realized why would I want to for 40 years be a tooth mechanic that I'm going to see 40 patients a day. But that's a strain on the team, on your health, on relationships. And so about seven years ago, it was this Friday afternoon. We had three or four trouble call appointments. They were broken brackets and poking wires. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, but all four of those moms were angry at me because this was the fourth or fifth bracket they've broken. They weren't buttons. They weren't precision buttons. Uh, <laughs> well, you there know, you go. <laughs> I didn't have those at the time. I wish I had known you. But the, the idea was these broken brackets were somehow as a result of something that we were doing. And yet it really comes down to what's their hygiene? What are they eating? And that right. was a real pain point for us, which is that we were 60% braces and 40% Invisalign. And so Nicole and I sat down And I was burnt. I almost was this close to kind of walking away. Hmm. And she was like, okay, well, we could lean more into Invisalign, start more Invisalign cases. And so that's what we did that next Monday. We stopped offering braces that next Monday. And while it wasn't exclusive, we leaned into, we were already heavy. Our practice was 50% adults, 50% teens slash kids, phase one. And so we knew the adults were fine, right? 90-something percent were adults were Invisalign. The teens was 30%. And then we had dabbled in phase one Invisalign with a teen product over the years, but nothing, there was no aha moment. Mm -hmm. So on the next Monday, we really leaned in and we really gave the choice of, hey, we want to do Invisalign. And that's all we really wanted to do. That was tough because a lot of these moms were like, you want to put liners in my seven-year-old? And while we believed in it, we weren't overly confident. And we had moms that left and went somewhere else. And as a feedback, they wanted to go see a traditional orthodontist, mm-hmm. which you know was always sort of struck me like, okay, I'm not a traditional orthodontist. <laughs> Thought I was. And so we really changed probably within three or four months. Nicole and sort of and I came up with this idea of choice. Mm-hmm. And when we're in the consultation and I'm looking in the mouth and I'm firing all the metrics and then I kind of pull back and I say to mom, there's definitely indication for orthodontics. We do offer a choice of braces or Invisalign. I will be recommending Invisalign. Mm-hmm. I'll let Nicole walk you through why that's true. That way I don't have to get into the weeds and pros and cons and all right. that. But this way they've heard that it's doctor prescribed. And I think that really helped us because this way we weren't pushing people in. We let them make the choice. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing happened along the way. We took 18 months to get to 87%, another six months to get to 98%. We've been at 98% Invisalign share of chair. And we fluctuate maybe between 97, 98, whatever, sure. on any given quarter. What we saw was that we went from 100 patients to about 40 patients. Yeah, We went from three consults on average a day to eight consults on average a day. That's awesome. It's unbelievable. Yeah. People don't realize that you can scale on a whole nother level. And if you start three or 400 patients a year, you can start 800 patients a year, one doctor, two locations. And we went from 15 to 10 team members along the way. So people left just through attrition. Right. We didn't rehire. We didn't need to. Mm-hmm. You know, Jonathan talks about the, like the plastic employee kind of a aspect. Right. It's so real mm-hmm. and it's so realistic to the fact that like you really do have a great FTE full-time equivalent, which is if you just take your production and divide that by your number of employees, you come up with this number. Average industry is 180000 per employee. You can get into the three hundred dollars and $400,000 per employee, which means you're running your operations much more efficiently. Right. And that's what all these big corporations are talking about. You know, you look at Disney just came out with earnings 
And Bob Iger just talked about laying off 7,000 employees. The stock market reacted. It went up and they have to make their business model more efficient. Well, if that's good for a big corporation, that should also be good for our organization. And so Mm -hmm. while if you're at 100 patients a day, you don't want to let go five people. But as you increase your share of chair and become more efficient, well, there's opportunities to maybe rescale your operation. So back when you were seeing 100 patients a day doing sort of this mix of aligners and braces, what was so appealing about aligners and the digital workflow? Was it just the efficiency of seeing patients every 12 weeks or the precision of the results or what specifically drew you in? Well, the results have evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's true. My clinical outcomes you know, now well over 5,000 cases are much better than my clinical outcomes when I was at 100 patients. And that's true with my fixed, yeah. right? There's no difference with that. So I put in the time, the clinical's gotten better. I think more than anything for me is I sort of condense it down to the overall workflow in the office and how clear aligners just flows better. And I feel like we can exceed customer expectation and experience much more with clear aligners than with braces. So case in point, so a common pain point for an orthodontist is you take the braces off, you make that one set of retainers. Often people aren't leveraging digital unless Mm -hmm. they're doing 3D printing, but they might not be outsourcing it to Invisalign. They might be making it in their office. Four weeks later, the dog eats the retainer, takes a couple weeks for the kid to come in. The teeth have moved already. How do you deal with that? And so then you have to have this hard conversation with mom or dad saying, so we have to retreat. That's $2,000. And the parents are mad at the kid. The kid's probably mad at themselves and maybe mad at you. But at the end of the day, the moms go into their book clubs and they start talking. Right. And then they're going to like say, even though they're not trying to throw us under the bus, it doesn't always look in our favor. Right. And Nicole and I just tried to eliminate all of those little issues. Mm-hmm. And so we give a five-year guarantee on all of our Invisalign patients. Mm-hmm. So as long as their case is active, they're in treatment for a year, we have four additional years to do whatever we want. And so you can come back within that four years, as long as your case is active, you could tell me a Martian came down and stole your retainers. (laughs) I'm okay with that. Literally, the story doesn't matter. Yeah. We will put you back into treatment at no cost. Well, that's generous. We charge like $750 for that, just for the time to set the case back up and place attachments. You know, it's more of a nominal fee, I guess. Yeah. And so one way that you could look at this is that for us is that we offer that complimentary However, there is a charge for new retainers mm-hmm. and the Vivera retainers are 850 well, there you go. for the four pack. So one of the things that you could do is you could switch that to, I'm not going to charge you to retreat. They're going to be so thrilled. They're yeah. going to go tell all of their friends, right. but they understand that there would be a charge for retainers. So if you put it into that category, Either way, it's probably semantics, but no, I like at, it. Dave. At the end of the day, yeah. If the if the seven fifty or seven hundred you're charging covers your time, you know, the scanning sleeve and maybe the retainers, the four pack, well then maybe we're at the same place. And that's another reason why we want everybody Invisalign, because we can do a lot of those little detailing. And one of the things I said in the lecture today, you know, show of hands, how many of you actually use your scanner at the end to scan your braces patients to look at your work? And it's like three people in the room. And I don't there was think I'd two, want to do that. And there was 200 people in the room. Yeah. 
and it's very humbling to look at your work three-dimensionally, but I recommend everybody scan all of their braces patients at the end. Then you can really see whether or not you nailed Andrew's six keys of occlusion right. and everything's perfect. And if it is, then you send that scan off to Invisalign. They'll scrape or erase the braces off the computer. Then you have either one set or four sets, depending what you're doing. In your office in a week, you debond. Now you took an analog and you put them into a digital world. Yeah. I just love that workflow that certainly Align provides for us. Very cool. It's sort of like, you know, back in the day when they put the plaster casts on the table and you really take a look, right? Just scanning them in and you're like, oh, well, the torque could be better on that one. That premolar is a little rotated. Right. <laughs> Marginal ridges are off, right? But at that point, it's too late because exactly. you debonded them. Exactly. So this is a great quality control. And then, of course, one of the things we always do is we always chain everything mm-hmm. and we check for spacing. If the chain is closed, we then lace back all the teeth. And then right before we scan for that final scan and then into retainers, we always check with flossing. If we don't get that click, they're not done. Because what happens is it's almost 100% of the time they get done. They go back for the general dentist for a cleaning. And invariably, the hygienist will go in there when they're cleaning and they'll check with floss. And if there's not a click, they let you know. Oh, yeah. And so my team is trained, if you don't get a click, we're not done. And so that's why all of my cases are built out with yeah. full arch virtual C-chains. So your standard virtual C-chain is three, three to three. three. Mm-hmm. I actually always order full arch. So gotcha. it's reciprocal closure yeah. where the posterior is mesializing, the anterior is retracting. Because a lot of the spaces in adults are in the posterior. Not no, so it's, much a great, it's a great pearl. Yeah, I've done the seven to seven C chain. Sometimes, you know, the patients are like, oh, those last couple of liners, they killed me. What's going on there? But... Well, you want to dole them out one at a time and you give them all to them, but you don't want to have them go through all three of them because the teeth will slip. You'll get crowding. You want to make sure that, you know, you do them one at a time and then have them floss and call you or you do a FaceTime if you need to, to see if everything's done, then bring them in. Can you get heavy anterior contacts too? Yeah. Yeah. You can actually. So you got to be, you know, careful of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So one thing you said today that I absolutely loved, almost remind me a little bit of Dovi Prero's scan everyone and their mama, but yeah. I think you said we scan anything that moves. Yes. Tell us about that. I don't know if it was Dovi that we heard. I kind of think it was Ben Fishbein, like, I think it was at a summit like six years ago. I think he was the one that authored the whole, we scan everybody and their mama. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's where I think I originally heard it like six years ago. And so the whole idea behind this is that when a teen comes in, and I guess my emphasis is I'm not too worried about starting the teen. I know I'm going to start them. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get mom into treatment. Yeah. And so my focus is always on finding a way in. And at some point, hey, did you ever have orthodontics? And if mom's like, no, or I did, but my teeth have relapsed, it's just right there, the door open. And hey, well, we can scan you as well. It just takes a couple minutes and we could show you your outcome simulation. No cost at all. And there's a lot of the time where we're able to then scan mom at that appointment. And we can always schedule another time for us to do a real comprehensive consultation if time doesn't permit. But this way, at least we're offering it. Because there's a lot of time where you go through all of treatment and you get to the end and then... Oddly enough, the mom will say, I wish I had done it during this time. And well, if you're already an Uber driver, you're already bringing your 13-year-old, you might as well get into treatment. So we leverage, we have seven scanners in the two offices, so we're really scanning everything. But I'm leveraging these scanners for sleep apnea appliances and RPEs, Maras and Herps, although we don't do a lot of that anymore, retainers, you name it. So we're really using the scanners for everything. Which is great. Let's dive into uh, some clinical stuff here. You mentioned your Invisalign first protocol, which I thought was super interesting. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we knew that when we, Nicole and I were going to, if we were going to go to like 100% 
Invisalign digital office, we knew that the final frontier was phase one. We had dabbled in it, but I don't know that I actually had an aha moment until I was kind of forced into that like seven years ago. And then eventually the first product came on board. But I got to say, I think the urban myth is somehow these phase ones don't work out. They're not compliant. They're not going to brush their teeth well. You're going to get cavities. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. And actually, this age group, the 7 to 10, they're pleasers. They really do want to wear Invisalign. They love the stickables. They you can put little stickers on there as well. And that's super fun. But the protocol, 60% of our patients, we actually still do a traditional RPE expander on the upper. That number keeps coming down, though. Every year, that's reducing. I came from Penn, Van Arsdale, who was really big into the whole skeletal, open up the suture. So it was hard to go from 100% down to 60, but we realized a line, their expansion is incredible. Mm -hmm. And you can get five, six millimeters certainly all the time. I've been very impressed just what you can do with the plastic, to be honest. No, it's so true. And then for us, the way we sort of operate on this is Mm -hmm. we scan, we send those scans off to Dynaflex where we do uh, either traditional RPE or we'll do the laser ones where we don't need uh, separators. Those work really well. And then I always, when I send it off to Invisalign, I have the upper arch diagnostically set up because the whole point is I want to see how much arch expansion I need on the upper. So it gives me a good sense on the lower. Sure. I want to see all the teeth lined up. And then in the upper right-hand corner, you'll actually see a transverse analysis that tells you the initial and the final of the expansion. Is that like where the arch form tool yeah, is? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So you'll be able to see in the sixes that you are expanding 5.34 millimeters. And so when a parent used to ask you, hey, how much expansion are you going to do? A lot of us are just like, I don't know, five millimeters. Like we don't really quantitatively have a number. Right. It's just like a, it's a feeling. It's like cooking, right? It's a feeling. Okay, now that looks good. I'm going to sprinkle a little (laughs) bit more of that pepper in there. Like, you know, there's not really a recipe (laughs) in that. And so, but this way it quantitatively really brings it down to some good science. Yeah. And then after that, then I message back to a line and then I request five upper aligners be generated And the reason for that is if I don't have any upper aligners generated, then a line will make it a single arch treatment only. So then when I do want to make upper aligners, it limits you, right? It limits you to a single arch. And then you have to submit it as a brand new case. So this way it's a hack around the system, which is five aligners in the upper. You clearly don't use those because you're using the RPE. On the lower, we're putting attachments on the primary teeth in the sixes at aligner number one, Mm -hmm. building out 20 aligners, expanding the lower arch, opening up the leeway space. I want equal space around the Cs. And then we're doing all that leveling, aligning, and straightening. And here we are, the actual active expansion. If you're expanding a millimeter a week, five, six weeks later, you're done with the expansion. You let it kind of sit there. You heal. You can certainly lock it down, the expander with a wire if you need to. Mm And then you're just waiting and switching out every five to seven days on the lower. Once you get to a liner 20, your lower is fully mature. And then there's three different options that go from there. Your yeah. first option is you scan with the RPE in the mouth. That's not a line's favorite. Right. All the metal in there, right? All the metal in there because they can virtually remove it. Yeah. Uh, option two is you remove the expander mm-hmm. and scan, and then you glue it back in. <laughs> Patients don't like that option. No, 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 no. Or your assistants, really. Or assistants. <laughs> third option is you remove the expander, scan, and you don't put it back in. If you've been really done expanding for six to eight weeks, there's really zero chance that I'm going to worry about any kind of relapse in a two week period before I get my aligners. Now, let's say for, you know, argument that like it happens, then just give the first upper and lower aligner when it comes back, give them some chewies and bring them back a week later. 
and, and it, it fits and it fits every wow. single time and it's rare that i ever have to do that but I'm, i'll say that's like a one percent thing i always hold my rpe cases probably like six months before i take the expander out you're saying oh you don't have to do that wow okay, no and cool. actually you're increasing decay around the sixes and then gingival recession where the bands are fitted around the sixes on the lingual my suggestion is don't keep them in longer than three months I don't know if I've seen a ton of recession or decay, but I will say you'll have a much happier patient and thereby parents by getting that expander out of there. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, for sure. So I know we talked a little bit about Invisalign first. Align has come out with a bunch of very interesting programs. Let's talk about this. I believe it's digital subscription plan, the DSP. Did mm-hmm. I get the yeah. acronym right there? Yeah, you got it. Sort of a newer program. It's, uh, I think I've had it for about a year. I think it's been out maybe a few months. or We've had it for know. two months. Okay, two months. So, yeah. Yeah, and you have the option of purchasing a set number of aligners every month. Mm-hmm. I think 100. Is it 100? Yeah. Okay, you know better than I do. The lowest one is 100. You can go all the way up to like three or 4,000 mm-hmm. aligners per month. We're at the 600 range, and mm-hmm. I think our aligner average is 24 or $23, somewhere in that range. But it's an aligner or a retainer, right? It is actually. So you're using these aligners every month for either retainers, either mm-hmm. single or two, three, four, whatever, or touch up. Mm -hmm. And so the touch up cases that we do in our office are for that patient that only has a few teeth that are crooked. Maybe they were patients of ours years ago and their cases expired. Maybe it's, hey, mom had braces years ago and a little touch up. And it's a maximum of 10 upper and 10 lower liners. And for us, we charge $2,500 for that. Yeah. No retainers are included, so they would need to buy a single set of retainers for 550 or the 850 for the four pack. Mm-hmm. Attachments are only on the threes and maybe minimal IPR in the anterior, but certainly not much. And we've done several dozen cases with a touch up in the last year. And I got to tell you, it's like 100% success, especially because they don't get another 10. Yeah. If if they don't they're do it, motivated, right? they're extremely motivated because if they want another 10, it's another $2,500. So they're extremely motivated. And the clinical results have been fantastic. And it also kind of ventures into that part of the pool of patients. Maybe historically, they would have gone direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't do anything at all. Or maybe they just order retainers, but they don't fix it. Yeah. Because how much are you going to charge for that traditionally? I mean, maybe that's a four or $5,000 and that's just a lot. Sure. When you think about the ROI on that, you're only seeing them one time. You see them 10 weeks later and you're done. Yeah. And you take out the overhead, which is $350 to $400 for that plastic. Mm-hmm. You just made over $2,000, not to mention what right. you're making on retainers. So we really have enjoyed the DSP model and the unlimited number, well, the limited number of what we purchase every month of, of aligners. And that way, we exclusively use Invisalign retainers. So we don't, we haven't made retainers in our office like in five years. We used to make dozens every day. Mm-hmm. It almost looked like the lab from like Breaking Bad. <laughs> they were like in hazmat suits because of all of the polymer getting sure. in your lungs. And then my team got all, you know, hey, yo, you know, yeah. oh, we well, need it's it. California, right? Exactly. <laughs> and we got to be all like suited up. Yeah. And, and then one got carpal tunnel and all this. And so it's just, I'm like, well, I don't know why we're doing this. And then, <laughs> outsourcing just became easier. And then of course, nobody makes better retainers than Invisalign. They're really good. I mean, we started, like I mentioned just a few months ago. And what I love is that, you know, they come in in a week and we can give them to the patient and rarely do we have to alter them or worry about fitting issues. You know, every once in a while, maybe cut the distal off the sevens or something like that. 
But, you know, we can sort of just, you know, even ship them to the patients, which is great. Instead of having to come in, you know, we never knew with our Essex retainers, especially when we were doing traditional algin impressions and pouring up yeah. in stone, there's like a million variables of what can go wrong there. So true. So it was like a 50% success rate that the retainer would actually fit. I know. And even harder, if you're mailing them out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Forget it, right? You were hoping the that heat. You, you weren't going to get the phone call. <laughs> yeah. Something else interesting you mentioned today were the dreaded maxillary lateral incisors. And uh, I believe you said they need two things, attachments and space. I thought that was pretty interesting. I always put attachments on, but I love the thing about space. So elaborate on that. Yeah, I think what I've learned through virtual care, where we get photos uploaded to us every week, is it's this incredible rich data that comes to us remotely every week. And so we, we are able to look at all these photos and it's so interesting when you do frame by frame. It's like the old Mickey Mouse um, animated where it's like frame by frame yeah. and Mickey sort of, you know, sort of stilted as, as they're going. But you're putting like all of these pictures kind of, you know, to a, like a flip book, right? A flip book. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and so I started noticing this was a number of years ago that if we were going to fail on any case, it was always seemed the laterals. Hmm. It wasn't the centrals. It wasn't really bicuspids unless it was, you know, 90 degrees rotated and they just wasn't grabbing on. Right. But I just kind of felt that it was laterals. And so we really implemented years ago attachments. Typically it'll be either optimized attachments or I'll go more traditional, you know, your five by two by ones, or your four by two by ones, or I'll have it beveled, the beveled ones. And you can do all this on 3D controls and put yeah. them in there yourself. But I noticed that if we added more attachments on the laterals, and we have to explain in the consultation that we'll right. be doing that, and we get that authorization, and then also adding a little bit of space, and it can only be like a tenth of a millimeter. And mm -hmm. it's not even that you need the space for crowding correction. It's just to break the contacts because there may be years of tartar that we're not seeing in there that's mm -hmm. binding those teeth together. Interesting. And, and it doesn't yeah. matter how much force that you put in there, those teeth are not moving. And also, when you think about the plastic and it grabs onto the teeth, you get what's called the bowing of the occlusion effect, which is if you have no space in your arches, your teeth can go nowhere but intrude on you. Hmm. It's one of the reasons why you might get posterior intrusion or open bites, although a lot of the time it's anterior interferences, lack right. of leveling of curved speed. All of your clinchecks should be set up with zero anterior contacts. And that's how I've always set mine up. But it goes back to we have a lot less refinements and a lot less issues on those laterals when we put attachments and do a little bit of IPR around there, freeze them up, and we just get better clinical results. So you're doing IPR as opposed to programming small two-tenths of a millimeter spaces or what have you around them? We'll do a little bit of IPR around those teeth. Okay. Yeah. And usually that corresponds to crowding. Like a like hand strip or are you getting in there with the disc? I'll do a double-sided disc. Okay. Yeah, I'm not using the strips. And, and do so. the billionaires get upset by that? No, the billionaires do not, actually. <laughs> but they just want it done fast. Okay. Actually. Yeah, they can be a little skittish at times, but you know, we let them know, like, hey, this is done you know, real quickly. You gave a couple great scanning pearls in general today. Do you want to mention those? I think that one of the, the main uh, things that I think we see out there in terms of scanning the occlusion or the bite is that most people have their patient reclined. And one of the problems with scanning with their mouth reclined or with their body reclined is that the mandible tends to roll back, the masseters, pterygoids, everything tends to roll back, so you're not getting an authentic bite registration. Right. 
And somewhere around 18 to 20% of scanned bytes sent to a line are actually inaccurate. Interesting. People wouldn't know that, but that's sort of some internal numbers that a line runs. And so if you're setting up that whole case and the bite the is off, off yeah. it's not any wonder at the end that the bite's off. Yeah. And so the easiest thing to do to make sure it's an authentic centric occlusion because if you're retracted, it might be more CR, mm -hmm. centriculation. And so if you bring them up and then that way they're biting up and down, mm -hmm. then that's going to get a more authentic bite. The second pearl that I offered on that was a lot of people have them bite down. Then they throw the wand in the mouth to take the scan. Technically, the best way to do it is put the wand into the mouth first, yeah. then bite down. And that way the wand is not shifting the occlusion. Because otherwise they might shift to the side, go yeah. into excursive. And you wouldn't know that. It might mm -hmm. be slightly off. And that happens every now and then. I'll still see that in some of my patients. I'll come over and evaluate. And I'm like, I don't think that's their bite. Yeah. And then they'll redo their bite. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's their bite. And it's changed. And all of a sudden I went from, you might need five more aligners as opposed to, I think you need 50 more aligners. Right. Like it's a big difference. So I think those are some pearls that people should, you know, elevate the patient so they're more vertical and then put the wand in first before you ask them to bite down. No, it's great. And those phase one kids are like impossible to get a bite on, right? Because they're all impetrusive. All impetrusive. <laughs> yeah. Where do they get that from? I have no idea. I don't know. I was like, you're a surgical case, kid. You want to try that again? <laughs> Too funny. When we come back in just a moment, how Dave embraced a segmental aligner technique why he became an early adopter of Lightforce, and how he became an investor in a venture capital fund for oral health care. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from Strauman Group. Did you know that Strauman Group the global powerhouse in implant dentistry, acquired ClearCorrect, Bay Materials, and the digital workflow software Dental Wings to make major advances in the orthodontic market. And Bay Materials innovation of Zendera Flex launched ClearCorrect's Clear Quartz technology, a third generation state-of-the-art tri-layer and stain-resistant plastic that increases predictability of movement and patient comfort. With a high trim line for improved retention and intuitive software, ClearCorrect is your premier partner for orthodontics. This is how Strauman Group does ortho. Learn more at clearcorrect.com. And we're back to our conversation with Dr. David Boshkin. Final thing I'd like to touch on here with Invisalign. This was a little bit mind-blowing to me. You showed a technique today of segmental aligners. You've probably heard of segmental braces. This was actually cutting the aligners, and it was similar to the motion appliance in terms of the results you were getting. Yeah. So tell us about this. Yeah, so it's uh, I'm probably going to have some uh, motion haters out there. I might need to hire a bodyguard maybe, but... <laughs> I think where all this came from is this was maybe 10 years ago and I was talking to John Morton, you know, who's sort of up there with a head of R&D and asking him if he had a motion appliance. I have been using the product for years at that point and big fan, by the way, love the whole sagittal oh, first, yeah. love the whole concept of moving three to seven back, whether it's a class three or class two and all of that. But I think some of the pain points for me was that with the motion appliance, it really did one thing, which is AP. Mm -hmm. It didn't line up all the teeth. 
the teenagers would often break them and then they don't bring them back in and they're, yeah. you know, whatever the retail is, 150 per arm. Yeah. So that added up and they would come in and if, when I, especially when I got into colors, they come in and I, I don't have green anymore. So I have to put pink in. Yeah. The inventory was an issue, the right? Inventory left, right, specific. Exactly. And then of course, if you're leveraging force twos, eight ounce elastics on a class three, there's some extrusive movement that comes on the lower threes and rotational movement on the sixes. That can get a little hairy when you're oh, using yeah. eight ounce elastic. So I started about maybe a decade ago dabbling with the idea of cutting the aligner, segmenting mm -hmm. it. And nothing really stuck until maybe about four years ago. I think I kind of had reached my limit of maybe the motion on some of the pain points that I was seeing on that. And so I actually started segmenting the aligners. And so what that involves is I set up my ClinCheck where I tell a line on a, let's say a class three case, to not move the lower two to two. Mm -hmm. I cut the aligners distal to the lower twos. I'm moving three to seven back in mass. You could do sequentially, but I do more in mass. The wisdom teeth are gone. Mm -hmm. And for the first six weeks, you have your upper full liner. And the first six weeks, I'm running class three, six ounce elastics. Let's say force ones, that people would be sure. used to that. And after six weeks, we go to force twos or we go to eight ounce elastics. Mm -hmm. And I, I usually build out between 20 and 30 aligners. And the results have been amazing. Uh, just short of like miraculous, probably one of the biggest inventions I think I've seen at a line. And you have Very a cool. full class one occlusion yeah. in three or four months. So that sagittal first is real. Then what I do is I rescan. I no longer have to cut the aligners anymore. And then now I address the lower two to two in terms of the alignment, the anterior crossbite, the midline, and we pull everything back. We still are wearing the elastics rubber bands 24-7. We don't want to take our foot off the gas on that. And these class three and class two cases normally would take a year and a half. Uh, maybe they needed a surgical. Maybe they needed extraction. All of that's done now with this technique. And they're done between 10 and 12 months. You showed some amazing results today. I was super impressed. And, you know, of course, this is a bit self-serving because, as you know, I created the precision aligner button. But you would sort of be amazed on how the lowly elastic and buttons, like what you can do with those things, especially when you have a compliant patient. That's so interesting you bring that up because as I got deeper into the Invisalign field... I was relying over the years on more and more on buttons because it seems like anything that was a overjet or an underbite needed elastics. And I don't know what it is, but traditional braces rarely popped off when we have hooks on them. But then the buttons have always been sort of this gray area that we rely on, even though it's a huge part of what we do. And so we've been working with different buttons, different companies over the years and then the precision button came out. Thank you. Oh, your invention. My pleasure. My and, pleasure. And, and I'm not trying to you know plug you on that, but I yeah. can just say authentically, it has revolutionized the way we scale operations and our customer experience. Oh, because that's awesome. Because these other buttons, by the fourth time that they break off, and it could literally be due because these kids literally bite their liners into their mouth. Yeah. It could be something that they're eating. Right. Uh, or it could be like low occlusal, like there's not a lot of like surface area mm -hmm. or the cutouts. There's only so much a line can cut out. And then you got to get into the, the Hugh Freddy little hole puncher thing in there. Yeah. And anyway, so we've exclusively used the precision cuts, which they really don't come off. 
And there's enough surface area that allows us to leverage these elastics that are, I mean, eight ounce elastics is a lot of force. Oh, yeah. The little buttons just don't cut it. They rip right off. They don't have those pads that really grab onto the tooth. And for me to be successful in these VC2, VC3, virtual class two, class three cases, we absolutely have to have these buttons on the whole time. Love it. Well, thank you for using the product. I'm quite honored that they've made it oh, out there to California. It's, it's, oh, they're all in California. Like, <laughs> I, it's a game changer. And and I know that you have some advancements that are coming out yeah, so, as some well. Yeah, some new buttons since you mentioned it. We have a mini precision button, which the number one request we've gotten is for a base pad that's a little bit smaller. Yeah, So definitely. this one has a 15% smaller base pad, but still we're finding great retention. My team loves the mini more than the regular. So that one's coming out and some new improved of the uh, regular precision buttons. So stay tuned. They should be available for the AEO. So yeah, thank you for mentioning those. Well, that's really needed because there's only so much on your check that you can elevate that cutout. And, right. and when you do have, you know, some of these like really low profile teeth, exactly, it's, it's hard to get those bigger ones on, even though we need them on there. Sure. But um, that's what we were thinking, right? Like yeah. for sevens, if you want to bond the sevens, if you have a 12 year old patient and the clinical crown's not fully erupted. So I think there's definitely like a place in the market for the minis. So, you know, hopefully it takes off. Let's transition here outside of aligners. I know you are sort of an early adopter with Lightforce, right? We are 100% digital office. In order to be able to say that, we actually have to lean in and incorporate, you know, somehow the whole workflow when it comes to wires and brackets. And so about three years ago, uh, I came on board at Lightforce and done some lecturing for them. But, you know, independent, it is really worked out in a way that we're still leveraging the iTero scanner. We certainly get the light force plan and we were able to three-dimensionally look at all the teeth, very similar to the clinic treatment plan. And, right. and then what I love more than anything is that we get all these 3D printed brackets back, which are custom made to that tooth and that person and not this off the shelf, one size fits all. So brackets are not popping off. Brackets can be slightly off of the long axis of the tooth and yet still provide that ideal alignment. They're designed that way. And then actually my team places all the braces for me. Hmm. So they're doing all four quadrants in 10 minutes. I walk over, talk about efficiency. I love it. I walk yeah. over and I'm like, hey, great job. And I know for a fact that they place those braces, which is even though I've been doing this for almost a quarter of a century, I'm pretty sure that those brackets are better placed than what I could have done. Yeah. And what we've seen in our cases they finish out faster. Mm-hmm. It's much more efficient. And in the end, the occlusion is unbelievable. So I'm just a big fan of it. While we lean heavy into Invisalign and we offer the whole choice, it does offer us then that relief if we do feel that Johnny, the 14-year-old who doesn't brush his teeth very well, or maybe he would be absent-minded, not wear his aligners. Hey, that's okay. We offer a choice. And Nicole loves Light Force, so she's really leaned into it. And she really loves the whole scalability of that and the workflow. Mm-hmm. So we're doing more and more cases. And I couldn't speak any more uh, flattering about you know, Light Force. And I just think it's definitely a product that, while we may not provide volumes of it in the future, it's always going to be a staple for us in terms yeah. of offering a choice. One other thing I want to chat about is your recent involvement with a venture capital firm, right? That is sort of specializing in oral healthcare startups, sort of a shark tank moment, right? Yeah, exactly. And so where I am, it is not unusual over the years 
for just small talk. Hey, what do you do? Oh, I have a startup. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, just a little company called DoorDash or this little company called whatever Facebook. Yeah, and, right. and so I find myself in a place where if I get to know these people, I actually might invest. And so my wife and I have invested in six companies cool. and we've had a couple exits and a couple that have an exit. We'll see where that goes. But I think what was presented to me a couple of years ago was Dr. Jeremy Krell, who mm-hmm. is uh, used to be a practicing dentist, owned multiple locations. And he's been in the startup space for about 18 years, and he's had a few outs and great sort of financial background and all that. Wasn't he, he involved with like Quip, I believe? He was actually. Yeah. So he was early on at Quip as well. And so he came up with this idea that the oral healthcare space has a lot of growth potential with startups. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of brought me on as an investor. I'm also Mm -hmm. a partner in the company as well. And so we're the only independent oral healthcare fund in the world. Hmm. As of this recording, our fund is over 60 million. And by probably middle of the year, we should be likely over 100 million. We've invested in 34 companies. And we're investing at this point three to five companies per quarter. We have over 650 companies actually in the pipeline right now that we're doing diligence on. So we're really get to see uh, really on on the the front lines. And it's not just like a medical device companies. Mm -hmm. We're talking about fintech. We're talking about SaaS companies, certainly medical device or dental device companies. There's companies we're invested in that actually evaluates the biomarkers in the mouth and evaluates Mm. full testing of all the bacteria in the mouth for purposes of targeting probiotics for your stomach because everything kind of starts in the stomach and people get the the whole leaky gut and the Mm -hmm. gut biome and all that. That can affect the inflammatory response, which then leads to cardiac issues and diabetes and the list goes on. We're investing in a company that really has targeted the bioscience of evaluating what's in the mouth and then targeting those hmm. supplements for the patient wow. uh, or for the consumer out there. And then we have another company where P. gingivitis is considered the main culprit for the amyloid plaque that is developing in the brain, which then leads to Alzheimer's, dementia yeah. and Alzheimer's. Hmm. So all roads are leading to the mouth as being the main reason for dementia and Alzheimer's. So there is, this company has developed their whole system to be able to target. PG is probably the most dangerous bug in our mouth. We have other bugs that we want to keep in check, but that PG is probably the worst one. And so if we can target it, analyze it and limit it, that might end up helping all of us down the road. So this is a very personal thing to invest not only did I want a formal education in the VC world, it, maybe it's sort of cliche for an orthodontist in Silicon Valley to be a VC because I'm surrounded by Sand Hill where, you know, Kleiner Perkins and mm-hmm. Sequoia and Greystone and all right. of them, all the list the goes on, yep. all these companies. And so it's really been a fun adventure and I've learned a lot and and I've gotten to really understand Uh, how to evaluate companies. And really it's exciting to hear, you know, some of these companies, I mean, some of these companies that, you know, we can't publicly let everybody know, but we certainly have some main ones like ortho FX that we've invested in. A lot of X align employees are at that company Uh, Two front, which is a really a full service evaluation of orthodontic cases and Invisalign cases, and then really channeling GPs working with orthodontists. Hmm. And then of course, retainer club. 
Oh, um, yeah. Blair Feldman's Retainer Club. Good old Blair. So we're oh. invested, you know, in that. And then the list goes on. We have, you know, oh, 30 cool. other companies that we're certainly invested right. in. So it's, it's really been a fun adventure. So out of the 34 companies, how many are in the ortho space? Do you have any idea? I'm going to say about eight to 10 are in the ortho space. Okay. The rest are in the GP space. Like we just invested in a company in India. And by the way, we are global in terms of our reach, in terms of people reaching out to us, wanting investments. And typically we're early stage, Mm -hmm. but we just invested in a company in India that effectively is the Henry Schein, if you will, or the Amazon, if you will, of dental supply. Oh, wow. So this company in India is the premier company that has all dental supplies from saliva ejectors to bibs to all, you know, the dental products, mm-hmm. composite and all of that. And so this company is growing. And so we were able to get in early on an A yeah. round. And because we get in on the initial round, we typically get a, a discount to invest in subsequent or future rounds, Okay, which then makes us kind of have a pull position, you know, moving in. And really the private equity VC world is really what has made all of this happen. Mm-hmm. You know, these companies can't scale operation just because of, you know, they're using family and friends money. Right. At some point, Align Technology went to Kleiner. Right. Lightforce went to Matrix and then Kleiner. Mm-hmm. And these companies, you know, Retainer Club and, you know, Blair coming to us. And so this is how you Absolutely. scale. I find it super interesting. So do you have to be an orthodontist or a dental professional to invest with Revere Partners? No, you do not. We have okay. actually currently almost 300 investors. Hmm. And so those investors, you can come in as an LP, a limited partner, and mm-hmm. you invest. And typically it's a quarterly thing. So let's say you want to invest $100,000. Mm-hmm. You're investing 25000 per, per quarter, quarter. Okay. because what you do is you want to get a snapshot of our investments. You don't want to put a hundred grand in and then it's one company. Right. Makes sense. You, you want to spread you know, your risk out in that way. Yeah. And our um, IRR is our internal rate of return. Mm-hmm. Last year was nearly 40%. And what that number means is we evaluate all of our investments, all of these companies, we get markers and all of the KPIs and the P&L sheets, if you will, from them on a quarterly basis. So we can run all our analysis and we can actually see how they're doing. Hmm. We're invested in an aligner company in Brazil. It's the second largest aligner company in Brazil. So we can actually see every quarter how many cases they're shipping. And we can see the revenue and all that. And so our IRR is nearly 40%, which means we're doing really well. Yeah. And while we expect, if we were to stop, let's say, at 34 companies we've invested in, let's say we can assume maybe a third of those don't go anywhere. Maybe another third is a 1X or a 2X. Mm -hmm. And then we can, you know, after three to four years, there may be a third of them. That's where you want. You want the 5 to 10X return. And so while we're hedging our bet across a broad stroke, in the end, dental companies, oral health care, typically play out pretty well. I'm going to ask you a question, and it's a bit of a naive question, but I imagine you get the 40% return, but you can't take your money off the table like it was a mutual fund or something like that. I imagine you would only get the return once they 
exit or sell, right? Or another round of funding. And that's an internal rate of return, that 40%. That is not something okay, that we be... like publish. That's mm-hmm. not like, oh, your 100,000 just went up 40%. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not like that. We're just measuring the success and the health of these companies we're invested in. Gotcha. But once you've gone you know, through your four quarters, you can always reinvest and do another subscription. It's all managed through AngelList. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just automatic. The money goes in. And the way that you get your money back ultimately is when these companies exit. Yes. So we had one company, this was a year and a half ago. I joined almost two years ago, but probably three or four months after I started my subscription, we had one of our companies exit mm-hmm. and I 2X'd my money. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And and so we wouldn't expect that would happen that quickly. Right. But we certainly have a number of companies that are currently in our pipeline that we've invested in that are at various stages of either going for next rounds or potential acquisition. Gotcha. So that's always kind of happening, but you get your money back and it dumps back into your account once the company exits. Makes sense. And then you can decide what you want to do with that money. You can go on a trip to Walt Disney World or you could potentially reinvest. What's the typical life cycle for an exit? Is it two years, five years, 10 years? Three to four. Okay. Three to four is is your average. And the average is anywhere between like three and four X return. That's pretty amazing. That's that's really good. Especially in today's economic environment. Oh, it's incredible. It's a good return. Yeah. Well, I definitely need to look more into Revere Partners. Absolutely. Dave, before we go today, would love to learn a little bit more about Tahoe. You mentioned skiing out there with your family, right? Any other hobbies you have? Oh my gosh. Well, I have four kids in four years, so they're all a year (laughs) apart. So I have a freshman in college and then it trickles down from there. Uh, I think my hobbies have probably been my kids. But when I'm not doing all the ortho stuff, we're definitely in Tahoe a lot. Mm-hmm. And we have a house there. And so we're, we're, we're doing a lot of skiing. And then in the summer, we have a boat. So I don't know, if you've, ever been to, I don't know if you've ever been to Tahoe. You got, I have def, not. You got to definitely come out, come out on the boat. Do you wakeboard? That's an invite? It's an invite. I've tried to wakeboard. I can't get up, but maybe you can show me okay. the, the secret there. So bring your wife. Okay. And I got to tell you, my kids will help you get up. Wake, <laughs> wakeboard is sort of like skiing with a barn door. You, you, you really <laughs> it's should. It's not that hard. It's not right. that hard. Yeah. It was a while so, ago I tried. But we have everything. We have, you know, yeah. wake surfing. We have single and slalom ski. We have, and so it's just super fun. And then Tahoe is a beautiful lake. It's, it's an alpine lake and we're doing all of that. And we have a lot of friends up there and there's rafting along the Truckee River. And we spend a lot of time up there. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. An honor to have you on. Finally, do you have some upcoming talks with Align? Where are you going next? Uh, yeah. So Nicole and I authored a course called the PDW course, the Practice Development Workshop. Hmm. And we give that course uh, maybe three, four times a year. We're going to be doing more of them this year. Very um, cool. Dr. Walt, David Walt also yeah. actually gives that course as well. And he's fantastic. And so we Great have time. Nashville and New York coming up. And, and so that's a full day business optimization course it's not clinically heavy. It's more like, how do you scale operations? How, mm-hmm. What's the talk track? How do I get my team systematically? How do we set up the schedule? How do I incorporate virtual care? How do I incorporate DSP? It's just really a robust course that when you leave that course, you just get a better sense of how you can scale operations. I love it. That course is on the road, right? Is it like a weekend course? It's a Friday okay. uh, course, you know, that typical full day course. You can go Very on online cool. on your IDS site and go yeah. under education and you can then view all where all the courses are. You can also talk to your territory manager as well and they can get you a list of where Align courses are located. Sounds great. Well, Dave, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Cheers to you, my friend. 
I appreciate you, Chris. What you do for our profession is absolutely amazing. Oh, and you. I work out every morning at 5.30. I don't miss a day. I look forward to your podcast. And, <laughs> and if there isn't one for me to listen to, then I got to go listen to like Ed Milet, Lewis Howes, or maybe I guess I got to go listen to Glenn, right? Uh, so oh, come on, we can't no, think on Glenn. Glenn here. Glenn's no. great, actually. But I do appreciate yeah. you know everything you've done for us, and uh, I wish you the best. Thank you so much, Dave. Cheers, Cheers. my friends. That's all for this episode of the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you're a fan of the show, be sure to subscribe or follow Illuminate on your favorite podcast app. Also, I'd appreciate if you could leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. A very special thanks to our sponsors for this episode. That's KL Owen, Stride Custom Braces, and Strauman Group. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the Illuminate team. That's Skylar Adler on the mixing console and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes electric piano. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. To hear exclusive outtakes, suggest a guest, or sponsor an episode, head over to IlluminateOrthoPodcast.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Chris Seta signing off. We're back with some hidden bonus content from our conversation with Dr. David Boschkin. Thanks so much for sticking around. And here's one more great Invisalign Pearl. Tell us a little bit about the occlusogram feature on the Itero, because I started using that myself, especially when I have adults coming in and they're talking about, you know, maybe hitting heavily on the anterior teeth and damaging their incisors. You talked quite a bit about that today. It's an indispensable tool for us. It's basically Dawson, you know, or Pinky Institute on the computer. Mm -hmm. And it really is a great heat map. So it really tells you exactly where all these teeth are touching. And obviously you don't want a, not a lot of red yeah. uh, on the anterior. The way we finish all of our cases is that we'll evaluate that occlusal gram. We'll make sure they're not hitting anywhere in the front too hard. We don't want to really see any red. I always want all of my cases are set up with hard posterior contact. So I want to mm. see a red on the posterior. Yeah. I just don't want to see a red in the anterior I don't really want any red in the anterior. And that's where we have to either do some occlusal adjustment at the end, or we just have our cases set up where we're light anterior contacts. It's a great tool because patients at times are going to try to articulate to us, hey, doc, I'm only hitting on this one canine. Mm -hmm. And you're looking in the mouth going, I don't see it. But that's right. sort of where the scanning makes everybody honest. Yeah. There's this authentic... Yeah, you're right. I do see that. That you would have, unless you're using the occlusalgram, you may not see that even with articulating paper. Like people can grind on articulating paper all day long and you're not seeing any contact points at all. Right. You got to add a little Vaseline on the articulating paper to emulsify the ink. And then maybe you get a little bit more <laughs> like ink on the tooth, but it's still 
inaccurate. Like it's yeah. not the best thing is to use the scan. I mean, to me, articulating paper just got all over their lips and it was oh, like, yeah. a, a, like a hot mess. So messy. Yeah. But I've used the occlusogram too, that, you know, occasionally I'll have Invisalign patients where they feel like maybe they're not touching as much in the posterior. I'll scan them and, you know, we'll look at the contacts together and sometimes it's much more than they think they're occluding on. Right. Yeah. But you know, a lot of the time when we're doing a lot of these arch expansions and arch development, we're expanding mm-hmm. four or five millimeters. One of the problems with using plastic with expansion is the buccal cusp roll up oh, yeah. and the lingual cusp roll down. So when you're using the clusogram, you're seeing that they're heavy on the lingual cusp. Mm-hmm. So one of the things is that by putting certain attachments on the posterior, as you're expanding, you're actually auto-rotating the posterior where you're bringing down the buckle and you're lifting the lingual up. Right. Because we really, the proof of our work is really more on the buckle mm-hmm. than the lingual. We rather than be touching more on the buckle cusp than the lingual cusp. And a lot of this time when you do those sort of finished scans, you'll see, yeah, they're articulating more on the lingual. And that's sort of where you've got to balance the occlusal plane better in the posterior. But you can manage that in the initial clincheck setup. Hmm. 